I'm going to ask everyone to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning, you know, there is... How many of you have ever had to call customer service before? Wait. Customer service. How many of you have ever had to call customer service? There's been times where I've called customer service and they have been absolutely fantastic. They have bent over backwards and gone out of their way to make a difference, to resolve the problem, to do whatever had to be done. But how many of you have ever called customer service only to have the situation get worse because of the rep that you got on the phone? Anybody? Yeah, that happens too, right? And so, there are difficult people in this world. Wherever you go. Anybody ever had to deal with difficult people before? Only one of you. All right, two of you. So, I'll, I'll be just, the rest of you just go with us and just pretend like you know what I'm talking about. Well, maybe if you've never had to deal with difficult people, maybe... <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but we've all had to deal with them, and so how do you do that? And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. We're going to be in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, through and read through verse 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You, should, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who, who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to dig into this, these verses. I pray and ask you to speak to us. I pray that we'll hear from you as we look into your word and that you'll make this clear to us. And so, Father, I pray and ask that you'll guide everything that's going on and that, Father, that you will change us because we've met with you. And so, Father, we just ask this morning that you do the work you intend on doing. We're, we're blessed to be able to share this moment together with each other and with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be discussing how to handle difficult people. And there's three kinds of difficult people. There's evil people. There's people who are enemies. And then there's us sometimes. Sometimes the most difficult person we deal with is ourselves. And so we're going to begin with evil people. 
he begins here in verse 38, and he said, It was said the rule in dealing with evil people was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Make it even, in other words. They poke your eye out, you poke their eye out. You know, if they do something, you turn, turn it back. That makes it even, right? Kids, we know this. Make it even. That's not fair, mom and dad. Parents, you never heard that before, right? That's not fair. Yeah. Listen, boys and girls, young people, I want you to know something. Life is not fair. And so get used to it while you're young because it's less fair when you get out of the house. And all the adults said, Amen. hear that, young people? Pay attention. It's less fair when you get out. They don't care about fairness. They care about advantage. And that's the way life works. And so this idea of fairness doesn't work. And so that's what he's dealing with here. But Jesus was about to give them a new rule. And he tells them, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other also. Now, this is really an interesting thing. We're going to do a little bit of uh, exploratory uh, surgery here for a moment, if you will, uh, because that seems to be the theme of the week. Um, this rule, I went back and studied this rule to kind of see where it came from. It was part of Jewish law. It is found, uh, it is found in, the, in the Baba Kama 8.6. And so, and it tells us that when people were, would slap one another, it was considered an insult. And they actually, if you were to do that to somebody, the open hand was one price, but if you gave them a backhand, it was double, because it was considered a double insult. And so when Jesus references this, he's referencing Jewish law. And he's saying when somebody insults you, you don't give an eye for an eye. You just receive what they have to say. You say, I'm still here. You don't walk away. People, you ever been insulted by somebody? We've been insulted unintentionally before, right? We've been insulted intentionally before, right? When they do that, we don't respond an eye for an eye. He's pulling out of their culture to deal with that here. So we don't return insults. We don't return jabs and digs and stuff like that. Now, it's different when it's a friend and a buddy and you're having a good time and everybody's playing and by the same rules. But, there are, but then they're not really insults. They're just playing because we know one another. But in life, these things are going to come. And so he's saying you don't return that. And then he says, he goes on, he says, if anyone wants your shirt, give them your coat also. Now, we're to give more. When people want from us, we're to give more than what they want. We're to go that second distance, and we'll get to that in a minute. He tells them that if someone forces you to go one mile, you go two. So we do more. We give more. We do more. And if somebody wants a loan or wants money, we're to give, uh, give and loan to those who ask of us. We're to risk more. We're to be beyond that. Now, you know, there was this, there was an old joke about, you know, the neighbor who always borrowed stuff and it never came back. And uh, there was, a, this is an old, you want to hear an old pastor joke? There was this guy that 
he saw his neighbor, and every time he had something new, his neighbor would come over and try and borrow it. And so he had just gotten a new plow. And he was out there, but he, he when he got home, he kind of looked around to see if his neighbor was there, and he didn't see him anywhere, and he got home. He got the plow into the, into the barn. And before he knew it, there was a knock on the barn, and there he was. And he's like, hey, neighbor. <laughs> and he's like, hey. He said, uh, I see you got a new plow. He goes, yeah, we did. He goes, hey, do you mind if I borrow that? And uh, the guy who just got the plow, he said, well, you can't do that. He said, well, I, I just need to borrow it tomorrow. He goes, well, you can't do that tomorrow. He said, well, why not? He said, my wife is combing her hair with it tomorrow. And he's like, what? She's combing her hair with a plow? He said, no, not really, but when you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. And so we're not to have that attitude. We're to have the attitude because here's the thing. Who owns what you have? The earth and the fullness thereof belong to you. So what's happening is we're being stingy with God's resources with people that may need it. Well, I know this stinks, don't it? <laughs> We're being stingy with his stuff. And so the key to dealing with evil people is not them, it's our heart. It's our heart. Because there are evil people out there. There are people that just mean ill, ill. That have no good intentions. See, we have a self-protection interest, don't we? Well, you know, I just work really hard and I bought this or I've done all this and we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect, we're taking ownership of things that are not ours. And so, God, see, we have a self-protection interest, but God has an interest in all men coming to faith. If you could give away everything you own, and it would guarantee that one person would come to faith, would you do it? Well, Sure. That's an eternal focus. It's an eternal focus. And so, when we respond to these types of people, when people insult us or when they want to they take stuff from us or they want us to do more and go more and give more and risk more, when we respond, whose interest does your response favor? Does it favor you or does it favor the Lord? That's what he's dealing with here because he knew the disciples were going to be facing some of these things. And he wanted to equip, you know, you ever wonder why Jesus tells some of the things he says? He tells them because that's coming for them. Because if they're going to be in ministry and they're going to do things for the Lord and they're going to follow after him and he's going to be used by them, the body will take. Because you're a servant serves. By definition. And if they don't have the right mindset, they're going to miss out on what God has for them. And it may be simple, small things like a shirt and a coat. But, you know, here's the thing. If somebody asked for, if you asked somebody for a shirt and they gave it to you, you think, well, that was really nice. I got this shirt from them. 
But if I asked them for a shirt and they said, here's the, and let me give you this coat because it's going to be cold this winter. That's going to, I'm going to say, wow, that was more than. And isn't that what God did for us? Doesn't that demonstrate grace? Doesn't that show them that they matter? <laughs> Boy, we don't see people anymore in this world, do we? We kind of see our own interest. We, you know, if we think it, that's the way it is. And you know, that's not the way life is. Just because we think something doesn't make it right. It doesn't even mean we should express it, right? We should keep some of that and leave that with the Lord. And so there are evil people you're going to have to deal with. And they're difficult. But there's also enemies. You ever had an enemy? You ever had somebody who described themselves as your enemy? Yay. Exciting, right? You ever had those people that you're just like really trying so hard to get along with and it doesn't matter how hard you tried, it just got worse? And just you just and then there's people you meet and within seconds it's like you've known them your whole life. You ever notice that too? And so there's all, there's both kinds of people in this world. There's both kinds, and there are people who will be sworn enemies. And we see here the second change going from loving your neighbor and hating your enemy to loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Have you ever thought about that? Praying for the people who are persecuting you? We pray that God removes them, right? But that's not the same as praying for them. We'll get to that. See, enemies actively oppose us. So how am I supposed to love and pray for them? <laughs> it's a good question. The, re the re reason we do that, for God to be able to bless your enemy. There has to be a heart change, right? So when we pray that God will bless our enemies, we know a heart change comes with it. And so pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will give them good things. It's the person you're thinking of. Pray for them. <laughs> pray for them. Here's why. He tells us, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, does that mean I become a son of God if I pray for my enemies? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a works-based acceptance by God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying here, this is not to become. What he's saying is it's a state of being because you are. You're falling in line with him. You're falling in line with God so that you may be or actively fall in line with the heart of God. Because let me ask you something. When Jesus died for us, were we friends or enemies? We're enemies. We're enemies of the cross. We're enemies of Jesus Christ. We opposed him. 
We were heaping up stuff that was going to be put upon him. We were enemies and he loved us anyway. And so what he says here to us that so we may be sons of our fathers in heaven. Jesus did the same thing. So we're revealing our relationship when we're able to love our enemies because the only way we can do that is because of him in us. And that reveals the fact that he's in us. So to be sons of your father, or to be that, to, to express that, a state of being, is to do these things, is to do this. Because what God does is he lets his son rise on the evil and good. He does not pick who gets the blessings from him. Those who have renounced that God even exists still get a sunrise every morning. Why would God do that? Why would God be good to people who are his sworn enemies? You want to know? Because he loves them and wants to win them. And ladies and gentlemen, our calling is a calling of restoration. You have been given by verse the ministry of restoration. We restore relationships with one another. We restore people's relationships with God. Our calling is not... <laughs> Here's where I'm going to get into our calling is not to build a big church. Somebody say amen. amen. And we have a foghorn. <laughs> That's not our calling, ladies and gentlemen. Our calling is to people. To pour into them, to restore them. To usefulness, because the enemy comes to do what? Three things? That's right. Steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Anybody know where that comes from? John 10 10. It's on the front of your bulletin. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Man, what happened to that? Where did we lose this idea of abundant life in Christ to just survival? You know, sometimes I think we play our Christianity like the game of survivors played. We team up. We plot. We try to get an advantage. You know what? It ain't about that. It's about this. When they want your shirt, you give them your coat too. Show the true heart of Christ so people can see the hope that awaits them. Turn an enemy into a friend. Turn an enemy into a brother or sister. When you do that, God lets his, the sun rise on the evil and the good. He reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. He still sends rain to all of us. He gives to all of us. 
And we should be the same whether it's a brother uh, or whether it's somebody who is renounced God and is standing against him. I'll get you. You want to hear a good popular name for that? His name was Paul. We think of him as the great apostle Paul. But he had a life before that. On his way to persecute Christians, he was confronted by God and he was told that it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks, depending on what your Bible says. And he's talking about the pricks or the goading of the heart. Well, how did that happen? Because some people did not let their faith change when they faced an enemy. Namely, one was Stephen. It is believed by many that he was the one who consented to Stephen's stoning. Doesn't say it. So where he can't be definitive. But it's believed that that was part of what he carried, what Paul carried. And so here's somebody who we would say, man, let's avoid that dude. He's bad news. He's against the gospel. He's against God. He's against Jesus Christ. And look how God used Paul. What if these guys had bolded? What if they had said, no, not for me? What if they had said, no, he's too bad of a dude? No, I don't like him. I don't like the way he talked to me. So I'm just going to not say anything. That's what we sound like when we do that. Have you ever heard anybody kind of griping and complaining? Their voice lowers a little bit, gets a little more nasally. Well, let me tell you about Bob. Instead of break, having your heart break, because Bob's not getting it, and he's not there yet, we think about how Bob impacts us instead of how we're impacting Bob. We're not called to ourselves. We're called to others. We're called to him first and to others. We're to be consumed. Our fruit is consumed. I've never seen a branch reach over and eat of its own fruit. Fruit is consumed by somebody else. And so whatever your fruit is, how many of you have ever heard this one? Well, fruit is the amount of Christians that you've led to the Lord this year. How's your fruit going? You ever heard that one? I have. And if nobody had come to faith that year that I had talked to, then I had no fruit that year. That's not biblical. Our fruit sometimes may be just sitting with somebody and listening. Our fruit may be planting. Our fruit may be watering. Our fruit may be crying with those who are crying. You guys know that it is a manly thing to be able to cry with somebody who's hurting because you're able to bridge the distance and feel their pain. It's not unmanly. It's not manly to say, well, I don't get it. It's manly to care about people. Jesus said he was touched by the feelings of our weaknesses. And we know Jesus wept. Boy, guys, we got this whole bravado thing. You know what? I'd rather have a godly thing. 
Now, I'm not talking about us just being weepy when every leaf blows across the lawn. Oh, the leaf fell off. I'm talking about being touched by other people. <laughs> and so we're going to have enemies. He talks, now, I thought this was so interesting. He says, <laughs> so tax collectors, brothers, and Gentiles all do it. They greet their own. Now, isn't that funny? that he included tax collectors. Did anybody else catch that? Who's writing this book? Matthew, who was a tax collector. Isn't that funny? He could have said lawyers. He could have said he chose the very thing of the one who's going to write the book. And he includes that. Now, do y'all know why tax collectors were so hated in the first century? Well, it wasn't just then. <laughs> Nobody likes the tax man now. Amen? Amen? That was louder than the first one. Did you notice that? <laughs> so, back then, you know, now we have deductions and we have this thing. We fill it out and we, we pray that we get it right so we don't go through audits and all this. And there's paperwork and there's laws and rules and all that. They didn't have that. There was a certain amount that was paid to the king. And tax collectors would go out and they would collect that. But the king didn't pay them. Where their pay came from was whatever they could extract from you on top of what the king was owed. So if they could get 80%, they would do it. And get the king his 15. So it had a lot of corruption built into it. And out of that, that's who Jesus picks to be one of his 12. Be careful making a decision who God can and can't use. And so these guys were not well thought of. When you were a tax collector, they avoided you at all costs. They hide, they hid things from you. We don't want nothing to do with you. If I share anything from you, you may take it from me. They were pushed away. And Jesus chooses one of them. And he actually is the one who's riding here. We're not called to greet ourselves. See, the only people they could really hang out with was other tax collectors. Who's going to want to hang out with them? Who's going to want to show them anything? Because they're going to take it. And so they would hang out with each other. Just like Gentiles did. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix here. And you had brothers. And there is... A responsibility to build up the family. There's absolutely a responsibility to build up the family. But we're supposed to be hanging out with people who don't know the Lord too. We're supposed to be out there among them. You know, it got to where it got so bad here in uh, the late 80s and 90s. Where we completely almost insulated. We had our own bookstores, our own movies. We had, you know, we're Christians. We're not out there. It's time to get back out and engage this community. Some of y'all know that, that we've started some of that here. We started that with our new group. Now listen, um, Living the Exchange Life is the new group. If you haven't been invited, it's not, it, nobody overlooked you. I got put in Facebook jail because I invited too many people to the, to the new groups. I just didn't get to you yet. So 
I had to pay the fines and get out of jail twice last night. So I'll get to you eventually. Or go look for it and join the group. Because here's the bottom line. There are Christians out there who have dropped out of church because they're burned out. They're exhausted. They've tried and it doesn't work. And God wants to restore them. There are lost people out there who say, I don't want anything to do with the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I love when people tell me that. I said, fantastic, you'll fit right in. I never, I never argued that one. I'm not a hypocrite. Yes, I am. Is there a time you're a hypocrite ever? Yes. But I don't not get help. I don't not go to the doctor because there's other sick people there. I don't go over there. <coughs> I don't go to the doctor because there's sick people in the lobby. Don't you love that when you're in line and the person behind you is like, <coughs> right behind you? That's a side, that's a rabbit trail. I almost went on it. And so listen, <laughs> where are we going? We are supposed to love and pray for people that are unlike us. We're supposed to love and pray for them. When you walk in the spirit, you will naturally be led to reach out to people not like you. People who are enemies of the cross can be won through the gospel, but we must engage them. Remember, God engaged us when we were enemies. They can be won, but they're won by him. But he calls on us. Now, the most difficult person you're going to deal with. You. You. We're the most difficult. What do you mean? I have complete control. Oh, really? <laughs> Where are my control freaks? Where are you? Who's got to be in control? Have you ever been in control and had things turn out like you didn't want them, anybody? Yeah? You know what that means? You ain't in control. Because it would have turned out the way it should have, right? Right. Well, welcome. Glad you came this morning. Aren't you so glad? Aren't you so glad? The control is an illusion. We don't control anything. We don't control the weather. We don't control the markets. We, don't, we barely can control our own behavior. How many of you completely are under control of your own tongue? You ever say, you ever get mad and say something you shouldn't? Maybe I should ask your spouse. Do they ever get mad and say something they shouldn't? Who'd like to go first? Ain't nobody saying amen to one of that one. Ourselves. Sometimes we're the most difficult people. And I'm going to tell you where it comes from. It comes from false beliefs. It originates out of false beliefs. Well, I just, you know, I'm not enough. You ever heard that one? We were talking about that this morning in my class. I'm not enough. Or I'm not, have you ever heard this? Well, you're just not godly enough. You ever heard that one? Did you know that that's a lie? How many of you agreed with that when you heard it? Because of some behavioral things. Like you get cranky every now and then. None of y'all, I'm sure none of y'all. Y'all get hangry? What time is it? <laughs> we can test this theory. <laughs> but we get hangry. It's funny how that abates after you eat. Have you noticed that? How many of you are unfamiliar with the, the term hangry? 
Hangry means that you're getting angry because you're hungry. Like you get kind of grumpy and you're like snappy and short-tempered because you haven't eaten in a while. And so we get that way. But what it is is we're, we have false beliefs, ladies and gentlemen. And the problem is, be, let's be honest, I have them too, I'm sure. This is not, this is... And we have to strip some of this stuff down. We have to look at what's true and accept it, regardless if we like it, regardless if it makes sense, regardless if it even matches our experience. Can your experience lie to you? Yes, it can lie to you. Experience is the worst lies. Well, if this worked and they stopped doing that, or this worked and... And it helped me out, then that's the right way to go. That's not always the right way to go. It's like good to great. If something, and I'm not saying it's even good, but if you want to take that, say it was something good, we don't press on for the best because this is working. And we miss out on what could be something awesome. And so we're told here, oh, this is, isn't this awesome? This is fantastic. When I read this, I was like, yeehaw. We're told here to be perfect as Jesus is perfect. Y'all remember reading that this morning? What? <laughs> How am I going to be perfect as Jesus is perfect? Did any of y'all think that when I read that? You're like, holy mackerel. Look at that requirement. Or did you go, well, I could never do that. Right? And then we go, all oh, defeatist. We say, I can't do that. I can't be perfect like he was. Let me ask you a question. Who saves us? Not all at once, because you'll confuse me. <laughs> Jesus saves us. Is it, are they getting hangry? <laughs> Jesus saves us. He gives us his life. He gives us an exchange. We're made righteous. Does the Bible say that? That's a little better. <laughs> We're made righteous. So it's not what I've done because he made me righteous. So when I'm told to be perfect as he is perfect, and I rely on his leadership, I rely on the Holy Spirit in the moment, and God is expressing himself... Am I being perfect as he is perfect? Yes, because it's him. So what he's really saying here is let him shine through. Because you're supposed to go. You're supposed to say, I can't do that. Because he doesn't want you doing that. He wants you out of the way. So he can do that. I'm so glad that was your response because if you thought you could do it without him, you're wasting your time. And all you're going to do is end in frustration. And you're going to be down here in a couple months praying for a new year. And, that, and putting down new commitments that will be broken by January 15th. And then telling God that this doesn't work. 
And you would be right because that doesn't work. But that's not his way. That's man's way. And so to be perfect as Jesus is perfect is by yielding our life to him in his direction. When he lives his life through us, then you're perfect as he's perfect. So don't believe you are less than you are and worthless. You have great value. You have great value. You ever heard these preachers that talk to you and they'll say, well, we're, I, mean, we're, I think we were, maybe Brother Jim was talking about that. This, you know, we're just, we're, we're just whale, whale um, scum on the bottom of the earth and we're just, we're nothing. And God is everything. You ever heard that? We thought that was a godly attribute to hold that. That I'm just, a, you know, if you were to ground me up, I'm worth $5 as dog food. And that, you know, I'm nothing and God is, and I have no value except what God is in me. That sounds godly, doesn't it? The problem is it's not biblical. Because God created you with value. He put it in you when he made you. He put it in you when you were created in your mother's womb. And when you abide in him, and you have a relationship with him and you abide in him, he brings that alive. Because you have certain ways and certain quirks about you that are not brought on by sin, but brought on by creation. And that's a beautiful thing. Let God bring that alive by abiding in him. Let him bring that's why there's no fruit anywhere. If somebody can show me where fruit is born or it comes from, other than abiding in him, I am all ears. We want to tell you how to produce fruit and manufacture fruit and be fruitful and live free. The only place fruit is mentioned other than that is in Genesis, where he tells them to go forth and be fruitful and multiply. But that was a different kind of fruit. And so, if you're going to deal with difficult people, realize this, that there are evil people in the world who need the gospel. There are evil people who need the gospel. We have to overcome our self-protection mode to engage them. Well, but what all about all my... We protect all of our stuff and things. we got this stack. How many of you have junk? How many of you have a junk drawer in your kitchen? You ever wonder why we waste a valuable drawer for junk? Anyway, how many of you have junk in your attic? How many, how many of you have junk in your garage? How many of you have junk in your room? How many of you have junk in your trunk? Oh, just, <laughs> sorry. We got all this stuff that don't mean anything. 
trade some of that in or use that, sell it. Use it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Clean out that, throw this stuff away. We get junk here. And we're so worried about somebody taking that. We need to have the idea that what I have belongs to the Lord. And if he wants to give it to somebody, he'll give it to them. And here's the bottom line. If he wants them to have it and I'm in the way, I will be removed. Because see, I don't own anything. We're stewards of everything. Steward owned nothing. The king owned it. If you under, understand uh, New Testament history, the king owned it. Well, in the Old Testament. Stuart was one who had nothing. He owned nothing. But yet he lived in the second nicest house. He was always provided for because of the king. And that's what we're called. And so listen, there's evil people. Here's the bottom line. When you engage, if we're going to engage them, they're going to take from us. They're going to take from us. Just know that. But that's good. We choose that that's okay because God will take care of it. We have to realize that we all have enemies who would rather avoid than have a relationship with them. There's people we avoid, don't we? I'm going to raise my hand. There are some for me. I'm just being honest. I know that's not a godly pastoral characteristic, but it's the truth. So let's deal with what's real. I'm called to engage them. Boy, does that stink. <laughs> but I am. I am. I'm called to it. Pray, and here's how we're going to do it. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray for their good. You know what happens is your heart changes when you start to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their good. And love them in a visible way. That could change them. It should change. It will change them. It may not be visible, but it will. See, this is how God won us when we were enemies. Jesus interceded on our behalf and he went and he, and he served us and died for us and won us. And that's how it works. If we're going to deal with difficult people, we have to realize that you can be the biggest problem you face. Some of you already know that. If you don't, come see me. I'll help you with it. Dismissive of your own value. Well, I can't really do... I can't sing like Stephen... Neither can I. Stephen said, Stephen will tell you that's a blessing. <laughs> and, we, and we're going, we don't understand why, Stephen. Well, I can't talk like Brother Don. I don't have the mathematical capabilities like so-and-so. Isn't it funny that we notice everything we can't do, but never realize what God's actually put in us? Is that ridiculous? Do you guys, look at, y'all all look defeated. You know how ridiculous that is? 
And when I look around this room, I see amazing, incredible talent. And don't look around at somebody else. I'm talking about you. You're like, yeah, I see it too. <laughs> it's you. God put it in you. Yeah, but I don't like it. <laughs> you ever read, well, sorry. Have you ever had that conversation with God? You know, you asked me to do this, and I don't want to do that. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I'll go do something else. You ever done that with God? I've done that. That's so much fun. Talk to me about that later, too. Dismissive when you're in your own value. Ooh, here comes another one. We tolerate our own sin. Well, it's not really affecting anybody. It's just me. It's only affecting me. So what you're really saying is, my life impacts nobody, so it's okay. How many of you think nobody's affected by your life? Good. Because everybody's affected by your life. Everyone. You know, when you're not here, it bothers me. Did y'all know that? I feel it in my heart. My heart breaks and has burdens for you. That's what a shepherd does when he sees sheep, when you can't find all of the sheep. Of course, the CIA couldn't find some of our sheep. But that's what it does. So if you think that it doesn't affect anybody, you can think of me. I'm here to help. <laughs> but you impact your spouse, your kids. Well, no, it doesn't affect them. What about the community? What about the people next door? What about somebody who may see you and are touched by something you say or do or overhear it? Have you ever been touched by overhearing a conversation? Not that you, we all eavesdrop. We don't do that. But we hear people say things. We go, that was really awesome. Yeah. You, ever do, you ever had that happen? Have you ever been praying about something and had somebody having a conversation? You're like, that's what I was praying about. Those of you who haven't had that, have you, are you praying? <laughs> God hears your prayers. Try it. Dismissive, tolerate our own sin. We treat our spiritual responsibilities casually. Well, it's okay. Well, my kids are in baseball, so we got to go do that. We won't be there. We can't do this. We get, and we have spiritual responsibilities to God, and we just shirk them because of life. Well, hold on. Jesus is our life. We talked about that this morning. So how could my life take me away from Jesus if he is my life? The problem is we try to build a life apart from Christ and then want God to bless it. And when, when um, the leaves hit the fan, we're going, we're going, where's God? Where's God? What's going on? How come God let this happen? And all of a sudden, we really care about what God has done and didn't care one bit until then. See, we can be the biggest problem we face, so let's continue. False beliefs about who you are. Well, we should sing the song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Or 
sure. I'm, I'm not like Billy Graham, so God can't use me. You know, there are giants among us in this room. Giants. And if you're trying to figure out who it is, it's the person sitting in your chair. Anybody do that? I bet that's so-and-so. There's giants sitting among us, and it's the person sitting in your chair. When God becomes God in us, how can anybody resist that? It's genuine and real. False beliefs about how our relationship works with God. Well, God just sits in heaven waiting to... Anybody picture God that way? Woo! I'm here for you. That's coming up in my class. If you're not in class in the mornings, you need to come. If you're in Don's class, stay with Don because he's an awesome teacher. If you want to know everything about Genesis, Don, just ask Don. He'll tell you. He'll tell you everything. Or he'll probably tell you just to read it for yourself. <laughs> but that's what we're about to get to because we live that way. We go, oh God, well God just kind of started this whole thing, he's disinterested, but Jesus had to come fix it, and he's just kind of there, and he hopes we choose him. That's not at all. God is very interested in what's going on in your life. So much so that he sent the Holy Spirit to help you. So much so that he wrote this word over 2,000 years, and it agrees. How many of you agree on every point in your, in your relationship at home? Exactly. These people agreed over 2,000 years on every point. How is that possible? Because one person wrote it, God wrote it. It's one of the evidences of the scripture being God-breathed like we're told. We can't even agree. And then we go, well, I don't know if God wrote that. Hold on. Let's look at the evidence. And so get out of God's way in your life, folks. Get out of his way. Stop putting restraints. Stop saying, I will do this, I won't do this, I can't do that. I, you know what? You know what? Here's something that's going to scare your pants. God could make me a better stinger than Stephen if he wanted. See, now they're like, I'm not sure God could do that. <laughs> But you know, I would never even categorize it that way. You know what excites me about Stephen is his love for Jesus, not his ability to sing. I'm glad he can sing, because it'd be kind of rough if he couldn't. That's the most important part. The rest of it's garnish. When the heart is right, then God is at work. The only way to deal with difficult people is to love them the way God does. That's the bottom line. You know, it's interesting. I was reading, I was reading these statistics, kind of, and I'm not a statistician. Is that? I was like, but I was reading this information about how prayer has changed over a period of time. There was, and somebody did it. They did it as kind of a spoof cartoon. To put it in perspective, there were four panels 
and we see people praying. The first was a New Testament Christian praying, Lord, give me the courage to face this accusing mob. Then the Reformation Christian, Lord, help me declare your truth despite the cost. The 20th century believer from Soviet Russia, Lord, may we preserve faithfully under these burdens. Then finally, today's American Christian, Lord, the Adi's been running rough lately. That's what we've become, ladies and gentlemen. We don't pray about the work of God. We pray about survival and easing our own situation. And when we get out of that and get out and crack that mold, get that shell off of us and start to see the fact that Jesus died for those people out there. They're not here because they don't know him because we haven't told them yet. And we have a calling to do. We have a calling to accept. We have a responsibility to our fellow man to not let them die without hearing from us. What a tragedy it would be for folks over there to die and go straight to hell that are across the street when we could have walked over there and told them. At least they would have had an opportunity to avoid it. Amen. We better know their names. One of the indictments that has come against us, and I think it's right, is that our ministries are all inward. It's time to make it, it's time to make a change. Do we need inward ministries? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't feed and clothe and, and uh, equip your soldiers, they can't do the work in the fields. And if you want to, if you want to see a visible, and I'm not promoting the movie because there's not great things all in this, but go watch Band of Brothers, first couple episodes before they get deployed, and how hard they were on them. But these were some tough dudes, man, because they went through the training. So that's why family ministry is important, because we're going to face it out there. But we got to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. That's why we launched the Exchange Life Group this week. That's why we're talking about children's ministry next Sunday. We're going to lay that out of what we're trying to accomplish there from education and outreach in our children. And there will be more to come. But we need you. We need you. And more importantly, we all need him. And we're going to face difficult people, but we're going to band together to restore to the best of our ability under the hand of God those who need Him. Amen? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.